We're in the book of Philippians, as Toby said, and many refer to this book as the rejoicing book, as the joy book. Joy rejoicing is in the book 16 times out of like 104 verses. And so there's some, it's being peppered all through it about rejoicing. And when, when it talks about Jesus and his journey to the cross, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's, and that joy is us. Us, we restored and renewed in our relationship with God and with one another. That was a joy that was set before him. And so this series is called Life of Heaven. And in it, Paul says that we are a colony of heaven. I, and I like I the word outpost better than colony just because colony's got so many connotation, reputation, and all that, and it's, it's not a bad word, but it, it's done some bad things. Anyways, so I like to say outpost of the kingdom, colony of heaven, and read with me in Philippians 2. Don't read it, but like follow along with me. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies as you Hold firmly to the word of life, and then you will be able to boast on that day of Christ. That, then you will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. You feel all the joy and excitement coming from that? Hallelujah. Amen. Um, so our passage, it starts with the word, therefore. It starts with the word, therefore. And so that means that the Paul, the writer, is pulling from a previous statement. It's a continuation of what Paul was saying at the end of chapter 1. And at the end of chapter 1, verse 27, here's what he says to the Philippian church. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whenever I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. So we talk about a colony or an outpost. We're not just talking about a name. <laughs> not just like... We're saying we're at church, but just because we're at church doesn't mean that we're being the church, right? Just because we're here in this building, we said, I went to church today, doesn't mean that you're actually functioning like the church and it's actually not good enough just to come to the church or just to sign up and say, I'm a part of that church. And so what Paul is saying is what it actually means to be a part of this colony of heaven. And in the, the very first part of the verse, he says, you must live as... He's, he's pointing out, here's, here's what it means. Here's how you're supposed to live. He's urging the Philippian believers to conduct themselves as citizens of heaven. 
Like, like saying, this is important. This is a big deal that you don't just say that you're a part of the church, but that you conduct yourselves, that you live as a citizen of heaven. Amen. And that this citizenship, that this colony is distinctly different than the colony and the citizenships of the, in the world around you and the cultures around you. You guys with me? All right. Every once in a while I'm going to say, are you with me? You say, yeah. Amen. All right. Um, and as a citizen of heaven, Paul singles out some obligations. He singles out some distinctions of this citizenship. And one of the distinctions of being in the kingdom of heaven, one of the, one of the distinctions is harmony and unity. And so he, he says in the verse, Look at these words, standing together with, standing together, one spirit, one person, contending together. He's saying, like, we are deeply in this together. We are deeply in the, the, the kingdom of God coming to earth. We are deeply tied together in God's mission in the earth. And this, this unity that should be a distinctive amongst the people is made possible by adopting the attitude of Jesus. And last week in chapter 2, you guys went through the beautiful, the beautiful poem of, of Jesus. It says that he, he humbled himself, that he became a servant and he gave his life for, for humanity. And God lifted him up and exalted him. And, this, and then in the passage where it says that we should have the, the mindset of Jesus, it says that we should have the mindset of Jesus in relationship to each other. And so Paul's exhortation, his urging to us, the church, is to be humble, to follow the example of Jesus by taking up the interest of others before your own. And he's saying take up the interest of others before your own as top priority. Now, I'm going to be honest here. Permission to be honest? Yeah. All right, all right. I, when I'm reading this, I'm like, that sounds good, Paul. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound good, Paul. That's hard to do because guess what? I think about me. <laughs> when I wake up in the morning, I think about me. When I think about what I'm going to do the rest of this day, I'm like, what am I going to do for myself to make this day better? <laughs> and if you're honest, you might say, yeah, you think about yourself as well. And so to take up the priority of someone else... It's challenging. And I know many, many of us, and I'm, as I preach this, I'm preaching to myself, I, I approach God or I approach the reading of his word and I'm looking for a word for myself. Right? Uh, I know friends that will literally take their Bible and, and in every part that has like a pronoun, they put their name in there and go, that's that word is for Rashad, for God so loved Rashad that he gave his only son. And, and, and those like those things, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us individually and that he doesn't want to know us individually. But most of the time throughout scriptures, God is speaking to a people. He's speaking to a collective group of people that he's trying to do something with. This is the context of this passage. God is speaking to the community about being community. The, every time you see your or you in this passage, it's not for individualistic interpretation. All the you and yours are verbs, and they're plural. 
And so it's speaking to the community. And that doesn't exonerate us individually, but he's talking to us as a whole. This word is for the whole church. And as we say in my church tradition, this is an in-season word. <laughs> this is a word. Uh, in-season. Like, like you guys, you, some of you eat seasonally, right? This word is for all seasons. <laughs> Got it now, right? This, this word is for all seasons. That means it's meant to be received at all times. It's not like that was, that was a word for back then or that was a word just for the fall or when we just first launched this church. No, this is for all that God is working through this church for the unity and the harmony to put us on display for the world. And we're going to get into that. So this is a word for this church, for Reality San Francisco, right here, right now. Let me pray for our time. Father, thank you for your word. Like God, let it change our hearts. Let it wake us up to the reality of your kingdom, God. Move in power. We fix our eyes on you, Jesus, author and the finisher of our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's get, let's get into the passage. Verse 12. Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So the context, Paul is in jail. That's the absence that he's talking about. He's, he's locked up. He planted this church in Philippi. He loves it. He knows it. His heart bleeds for it. And he's urging the community to continue. He said, I'm gone, and what I long for you to do is to continue. To continue means to continue. <laughs> Profound. It, it says that they were doing something previously, and that that needs to keep going. That needs to keep going. What are you saying that needs to keep going? They need to keep working out their salvation. Keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I know this verse is like, what does that verse mean? What is it saying? And work out. When he says work out your salvation, it has to do with participation. If I could parse this up, like to work out is, is, our, is our part. But it doesn't have to do with being justified or saved. We're not working out for God to save us. We're not doing things for God to save us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen. Amen. We, we all equally need the grace and the love of Jesus Christ to redeem and save so what's, if, so what's Paul talking about here? He's not talking about being saved. What is he talking about? And the, the theological word, if I may wax eloquent, is called sanctification. And Paul is saying you got to work out your sanctification. Here's what sanctification means. It means like victory over sin. Living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Living like you're saved. This is what he's saying, like, you need to work out, you need to continue living as though this stuff really happened in your life. And I want, I want you to, to pay attention. He says, work out, not work for. Amen. Not working for, you need to work it out. And so you continue to live in the way in which you've been changed. Yes. One theologian 
defines the word workout this way. He says, the words workout are the translation of a Greek word which means to carry out to the goal, to carry to its ultimate conclusion. And so Paul is saying we need to carry out we need to carry out in our lives and in community what it looks like to be the people of God. Another, another way of saying is it's the outworking of in-work salvation. What we're outworking was already been worked in. We are called to live it out. We are called to live it out. What's been done for us eternally, internally, we've been called to work that out. But, but to do that, you have to press through some barriers. You have to push through your externals and your old self. Who doesn't want to go away? God puts us in community to work out our salvation. He puts us around crotchety, difficult, curmudgeon folks, difficult people, smelly people, tall people. He puts us around all types of people with different sports allegiances, all types of stuff. Crazy. He puts us around these people to sanctify us. Come on, somebody. Come on. Where are the church organ at? That he's putting us around people and he's putting us in a diverse community and around people and it's uncomfortable, but he's trying to sanctify, he's trying to make us holy. So in community, in community, what we're doing is we're outworking with each other the reality of heaven. When we practice the way of Jesus with one another, like we are putting on display the reality of the kingdom in the midst of our family. So he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling, it's an Old Testament idiom of respect and awe towards God. You should, be, you should be continuing to work out your sanctification with a respect and an awe towards God. Psalm 2.11 says, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Psalm 119.120 says, my flesh trembles in fear of you and I stand in awe of your laws. Fear and trembling is holy awe and wonder. It, I love this. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie C.S. Lewis, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, but there's these, it's like all animals and people. And so, don't watch that night. Anyway, um, and so, <laughs> this long, young girl is talking to this beaver. <laughs> and um, there's a lion who's coming, and he represents like the savior. Anyways, and so she's asking about it. She says, Aslan is a lion? The lion, the great lion, oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And when I think about holy awe and reverence, he's, he's not safe, he's fierce. He's authoritarian, he comes in power, he shakes the foundation of the earth, mountains melt like wax, but he's good. And he's approachable, 
And he's full of loving kindness and he's full of grace, but he's holy. And so there's, there's a weight to us working out our salvation. There's a weight because we represent the king of heaven. We're not called to relate to God with slavish terror, but with wholesome caution. So I, I, I think the, the words that are written here are saying, like, don't take this casually. Don't take your life in community in the church casually. The, the bar has been set high, right? <laughs> like the, the bar is set high. Like live like Jesus in community. Lower yourself. Lift others up. Do what's good despite the circumstances. Have the right motives. Just like Jesus. Mark, Mark Twain says, fewer things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. <laughs> and I feel you, Mark Twain. Right? I mean, and if, you, if you've been in church long enough or you're new to church, you're just like, man, like that's, that's pretty hard to live by. It's pretty hard, if we're honest, to live this way. And, and with the bar being raised, it, it, it can be sometimes defeating. And just go, man, I'm just going to give up trying. And I'm so glad that this, this exhortation didn't end here in verse 12. He goes on in verse 13, and he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act, and in, act in order to fulfill his good purpose. If I'm, if I'm honest with myself, if I'm honest with you, I, I can't change on my own. Amen. Can't change my desires. I can't change anything. Can't change oil in my car. <laughs> True story. Um, no, I, so I, I often pray, God, I, allow me to want to want to. Uh, change the, the desires within me. Pay attention to the beginning part of this verse. It says, for it is God who works in you. God works in you. Work in. If, our, if working out is our part, then working in is God's part. And it means continuous, effective work. The word work in is where we get the word energy. It energizes you. God brings life into our souls, into our being, that we in turn work out in our world and in our relationships. And when it says in you, again, that's plural. So God is working amongst us. He's working among his church. God is at work in his church. And I, and I, and I know some of you here hear that all the time, right? You could turn on Christian television, radio, God's at work, God's at work. You're like, all right, yeah, all right, God, I'm sure he is. Right, you come in here and you're, you're, we're in prayer, God's at work. You know, and you're just like, oh, oh. yeah, right. The church, the church is a mess. How, how is God at work? When oftentimes what I see is ugly people and interactions and Maybe even feel an ungodliness sometimes when I hear stuff or when I read articles. How is God at work when I see such a mess? Have you ever been to a construction site? Ooh, yeah. 
God working in us often looks chaotic and messy. Because he's pushing us towards areas of sanctification that cause our stuff to come out to the front. See, when God is at work in in, in us and he's pushing us to look more like the person of Jesus, we have to work through our issues. We have to work through social dynamics, race dynamics, uh, gender dynamics. We have to work through all those things. And for me, oftentimes it would be way easier just to ignore it in this role of people that are just like me. People that I just get along with or not touch certain areas. And God is saying, you keep praying these audacious prayers for the kingdom of God to come to use me and let us be a light on the hill. And he's like, well, let me work through you before you work out. We often, me included, think that completed work is a sign of God's presence. But in contrast... The friction in relationships might just be the very hand of God. Spurning, spurring us on to be the community that he longs us to be. One commentator says this, God works in us before he works through us and he uses the word. Our dissatisfaction of where things are at and the longing for better is from God. Hopefully that's, that's why you're here. There's enough longing and desire in you to see a better world, to see a healthy church that keeps you coming, that keeps you hopeful. And what I, what I believe God wants to do is he wants to, get, he wants to get us to a place where we actually start desiring the things that he does for others. Another commentator says this, the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. It is rather a process of ins and outs. God works in and we work out. We cultivate the submissive mind by responding to the divine provisions God makes available to us. This working in and working out is our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. It's our cooperation with the Holy Spirit and what God wants to do in us so we can be God in the world is what the church is called to do. It's who we're called to be. So Paul, Paul goes on and he gives us a specific area that might jeopardize Christian community, wholeness, and unity. And, I, and I'll say this, when dealing with people, there's always an opportunity for disunity quarreling, especially with church folks, (laughs) especially with church folks. Amen. Amen. All right. I know we're talking to ourselves right now, but it's okay. There's always, in the church, I'll speak to the church because that's what we're talking about. There's always opportunity for someone to not be happy, not be happy with how they're being used, how the church is not deploying their gifts on a Sunday morning. Why they aren't leaders? Why they don't get to come up front? Why does that person get to come up front? Why they change the time? Why the church change the location? Why are all these people here? Taking, why did someone take my seat? Right? And there's always... Right, I mean, I, I, I've been around church long enough to, like, to hear all these things, right? Um, and there's a thin line between holy discontentment and selfish, me-centered kingdom pursuits. 
And Paul says in verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing. This might be the number one killer of authentic Christian community. Grumblers. If you want to block God's hand on your growth or his blessing on the community, bicker and complain. First Corinthians 10, Paul tells the Corinthians church, do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. We, grumbling is, is a picture of the, the people of God walking through the wilderness. For 40 years, it didn't have to be 40 years, but it was 40 years because of unbelief and distrust. And they complained and they, about the food. Remember, remember the, the leek soup in Egypt? That was bomb, right? They, they complained about being away from Egypt, about being away from slavery. Wow. Wasn't it good there? God's got us out here in freedom, man. We don't want this. Complained about Moses. Man, we, I wish we had a better leader. They complained even about God. Grumbling is to express ingratitude. It's a Hebrew word that means, it'll be on the screen, to murmur, whisper, slanderer, whisperer, murmur, rebel. Grumbling always goes viral. And it usually happens in, in lobbies, in hallways, and, and it usually goes something like this, hey, what do you, what do you think? <laughs> or, hey, wouldn't it be, right, and it's always, hey, you never do it out your full voice. <laughs> right, you kind of grumble under your breath like my son, right? <laughs> I clean my room again. Say, was that son? Put some bass in your voice. Anyways. <laughs> it's a whisper. It goes viral. And it's, it's more than a critique or difference of opinion. It's more than that. One commentator defines the word this way. Complaining is the translation of a word which reflects a bad attitude expressed in grumbling. See, grumbling is an attitude problem. And as the great John Cena would say, you need an attitude adjustment. <laughs> That's for free. It's attitude, it's, it's, this, it's, this, it's a place of, of, of bitterness, it's, it's working out of a place of offense where we're not getting what we want. So we spread the attitude of others hoping they'll become just like us and hoping that we can build a new community around those offenses. When we complain and grumble, we are telling those around us that we believe God is doing a very poor job and if we are given the opportunity, we could do a much better job. How we serve matters. And it's, it's a matter of attitude. It reveals more about God, about how our attitudes are, than the actual act. 
And there are many people that think their grumbling is prophetic. <laughs> that they're, they're the necessary contrarian voice for the church. I've heard, this is just who I am, so just take it or leave it. I call it how I see it. And really your grumbling is pulling apart the fabric of the community. And you're probably ignoring what God is trying to transform in you. Because at the source of our grumbling, it's, it's, a, it's a pressure point in which God is trying to transform us in our hearts and how we interact with other people. Come on, somebody, that's a tough word, I know. So stop complaining about the music, about your CG, about who took your seat, about what you don't have, who got over on you, and start holding fast to what is most true, Jesus. And this Jesus who is trying to break into your life and tear down some walls in your heart. This Jesus who's trying to cultivate gratitude in your heart. Because rejoicing is the opposite of grumbling. So we need to be more declarative of who Jesus is to change how we interact with others in our circumstances. Lift him up. He goes on, verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, and a warped and crooked generation. So that you may become. God is trying to transform us into his people. And he's saying, as you act like his people, as you start to do the things in the way of Jesus, you start to become blameless, pure, without faults. This is, this is temple language, without defect. It refers to a sacrifice acceptable to God. Unmixed wine, uprightness, above reproach. And Paul is saying, as being the community that's lifting each other up, holding each other up, lifting up the name of Jesus, we become a resting place for the presence of God. So the world can see. So that we can truly be an outpost for the kingdom. Not a colony of grumblers. But a colony, a colony of stars. The rest of 15 says, then you will shine like, you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Light is good works done in light of inconvenience and, and do it with joy. Christians are the light of the world. They reflect the light of Christ. And, and when he talks about stars here, it's, it's, it's not the same Greek word as light. It's the Greek word you get luminaries. We are to be a people that are strategically placed in the world that pull our love for one another together to put on display the light of Jesus to our city. Now, I'm not an astronomy expert, so don't at me, okay? Don't at Rashad Clemens, okay? But there's these things <laughs> in the galaxy called star clusters. A star cluster is a group of stars that share a common origin and are gravitationally bound to some length of time. And he says that you are to be shine like stars in the sky. 
The promise to Abraham is that, that his offspring, that the people of God would be great like the stars in the sky, not just numerically, but in illumination. That how we live would actually be seen by others and make them attracted to God. That we're not sitting here trying to convince people and, and tie and twist their arms. They're like, how do you live like this? How do you have grace like this? How do you really care for people like this? No, I'm waiting for you to say something behind their back. No, you don't. You actually pray for them and you care for them and you break bread with them. Like, that's attractive. That shines. That's the kind of people that we're supposed to be in the world where people go, I, I don't know about everything about the church, but what I see there, that's compelling. And Paul ends, as you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad. And I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That's Paul's prayer. That we remain the kind of community that speaks life to each other. That really you speak life to each other. That you lift each other up. That your heart is full of gratitude and thanksgiving. That you lay down your rights to be right for the flourishing of the community. And that we would endure even in the most difficult of trials. His desire is that our witness would remain and that his work would not be done in vain. And he ends by saying, regardless of what happens to him for the flourishing of others, he doesn't grumble or complain. He's able to rejoice. And he prays that we're able to rejoice as well. We should rejoice at the flourishing of the community. We should commit to the flourishing of the community. We should lay down our rights. We should empty ourselves of status like Jesus did. And as we lay down our status with one another, then we, the church, Jesus gets exalted. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you're at work in your church that you're doing things, that you're transforming us into the image of your son. God, let it be said of this church that we shine for the kingdom of God here in San Francisco as in heaven. Amen.